to the International House of Horrors. valued guests and welcome back to the international house of horrors your sanctuary of spooky for all things terrible horrible bloody gory and the macabre i am one of your curators joe merle and i'm the other curator i'm josh hi how are you joe i'm doing good i'm doing good i woke up a little bit early today it's still pretty early here in uh in michigan it's about 10 to 7 in the morning so it's about 6 50 <laughs> but I woke up for reasons. Uh, my dog was sick. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, that got us up and out of bed. And I was like, you know what? I'm awake. Might as well just send Josh a message, see if he's uh, maybe he wants to record a little bit early. And but other than that, things are good. Thanksgiving over the uh, we've had the long Thanksgiving holiday over here. So we've been off work for about oh, four right. days. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have any like national like, uh, I don't know, like a founding holiday? Kind of uh, not a f not a founding holiday, but we've got like uh, a few holidays of like um, like uh, the day of work. The first of May is a national holiday here where we just take off work and go drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good and, holiday. Yeah, that's it's, it's pretty awesome. Like it's it's all first of May is always like it's it's called the day of work. So of course everyone gets off work, right? And so it's always like these big groups uh, taking a hike somewhere and uh, drinking lots of beer. <laughs> we have we have something kind of similar. Labor Day is they call it Labor Day, but it's a day off. And I oh yeah, right. Yeah, but no, I mean Thanksgiving is you you know for us everybody just gets together as family, but it's the celebration of the pilgrims showing up on the shores and you know the first thanksgiving with the native americans however we all know now that that ended a little bit differently than um what they put down or what they taught to us when we were children but it's still just a good day because usually your whole family gets together you know extended family comes from out of town and you get everybody in one place yeah. and just sit down eat a meal watch some watch some american football and and call it good but it was nice to see everybody and and all of that good stuff, but uh, yeah, you wanna you wanna kick this thing off? Let's do this. Um, we're here for the final, the top ten. We made it through IGN's yeah. numbers one hundred through eleven, so we've only got ten movies left, and we decided to dedicate an entire episode because there's a good chance that some of this could run a little long. Yeah, probably. And uh, I've I've got at least one question before I want to start because I, I thought about it. At, at least I, I, I was going to uh, think like, what do we think are going to be the top 10? But I think that's too hard. And also we forgot already what's on the list exactly and what's not. But what I want to know from you is what do you think is the number one movie? Not what your number right. one movie is, but what's the number one movie on, on the list? that list, I want to say The Exorcist. Is <laughs> I, I'm, I was going to yeah. say the same thing. I think yeah. there's a couple on there we haven't, we haven't gone to yet. We haven't seen Halloween. We haven't seen The Exorcist. I think we saw Night, Night of the Living Dead yeah, wasn't there Night yet. Night of the Living Dead, which I'm, I'm assuming will be in the top five. Um, I'm trying. Yeah, it's hard to remember. And forgive me, it's fucking seven o'clock in the morning. But I'm trying to think of what, like you said, there's a lot that I can't remember what was on there and what wasn't yet. Because I know we did Chainsaw. I know we did Friday the Thirteenth. 
Um, we did Nightmare on Elm Street, so we definitely need Halloween uh, and Exorcist, uh, Night of the Living Dead. No, I think we didn't have Friday the 13th oh, yet. Oh, yeah, because we, we were week you, talking you, you, about it, whether it be the first one or the second. Yeah. Yeah, so Friday the 13th will be on there, I'm pretty sure. But I'm trying to think. I, that, that's the one I'm still wondering. No, about. I think it'll be there. <laughs> Probably. If anything, I mean, it's just such an important staple of the franchise. There's no way you can't have a Friday the 13th movie on a list of 100 greatest horror movies of all time. <laughs> you know, when we did our top list of horror icons, like, I mean... Jason is one of the most recognizable faces in horror. That, For that, sure. That hockey mask. But that, that does bring up the question, do you put the first one or the second one? You know, do you spotlight Pamela Voorhees for starting the franchise or do you move on to a, a Friday movie? I'm sure they'll mention it um, <laughs> if you were to read the whole write-up or whatever. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I think let's maybe the, the third one would then be the one with the hockey mask, right? Yeah, That's that was the, the first hockey really... mask because the second one was the I like the second one a lot. The the burlap sack, <laughs> yeah. Jason. He's um he's a lot of fun. I've been watching some Christmas horror movies lately. We watched them over the weekend. Uh, rewatched Krampus and um, a Christmas horror story. I can't recommend that high enough to people. Wait, that one is so good. Uh, That's the one, but it's the anthology with um, William Shatner is the the radio DJ. I and he's. Have you not seen? I this? have not seen. I've seen Krampus, but I haven't seen a Christmas. Yeah, Christmas Horror Story. It's on Netflix over here. It's been on Netflix for well, I own a copy. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but it, it's a really good anthology movie. Like it's the trick or treat of Christmas horror. Oh wow! Like, it's just it's just good. I've yeah, never. I don't think I've even ever heard of this. It's from 2015. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I'm, you should watch that. It, yeah, find that as soon as you can because it's um, it's a load of fun. I'm going to check that out. And we'll probably yeah. have an episode on Christmas horror Holiday, pretty soon. Yeah, Christmas horror. <laughs> yeah. Because there's some good ones, yeah. Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> there's some weird ones, though. Uh, Mother Krampus. I watched one of those, and I guess there's like three of them. I, I've got um, one called uh, Don't Open Till Christmas. Which is banned over here, and I literally found it for two bucks and looked up. It's it goes for like twenty on on the market, and I found nice. it for two on the flea market. And that's the only reason I bought it was because it looked banned, and it's not a good movie. It's about a, I think a, a killer in a in a, a Santa outfit who goes around killing people. Don't open till Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've seen that one. I saw. I think Red Christmas was last year. That's pretty good with D. Wallace. It was weird though, like her. She had an abortion, but it lived. And like the this, um, you know, child, I guess, comes back and wreaks havoc on the family. It was fucked up. Like he was a little fucked up monster. And what was the uh, the other one with the the two kids? That was Christmas. Um, was it Better Watch Out? That was last oh, year. Oh yeah, too. that was last year. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, seen that, that one was yet. fun. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that episode later. We'll talk yeah. about holiday horror. Um, so top ten. We know there's some stuff coming. That we haven't talked about yet, but yeah, this is probably going to take up a little bit of time. So why don't you just kick it off, man? Here yeah. we go. Number 10. Yeah, number 10 from 1968, directed by George A. Romero. It's not in the top <laughs> five. It's really surprising. But yeah, Night of the Living Dead. That is surprising <laughs> that it's not top five. Because I feel like that should be top five. <laughs> it's it's the movie that I still say uh, got me the current job I'm in. Because at the job interview, I was asked to sell my favorite movie. And I decided... Because I couldn't, I couldn't possibly in a 
job interview start talking about brain dead so i decided right. i go with nightmare uh, uh the night uh the what night, night of, of the living, living dead. dead yeah <laughs> it's not early for me i still feel like i'm uh, asleep <laughs> and uh yeah and i'm now in that job after talking for like 10 minutes about night of the living dead so i'm <laughs> that movie got me the job for sure no but it is uh, it's amazing. And I wrote a paper on it in college. I took like a couple of film classes and we had to pick a movie to really dive deep into. And that was the one. It's one you and I have talked about at length, not even on the, the podcast, <laughs> just talking in it, general. It's, it's one I can always talk about. Like what, 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 like this is one of the greatest movies and also one of the most progressive movies. If you think about it, like this has a, a black leading man in the, in the, in the main in the, in the leading role and not because oh let's cast a black guy because then we get more view. no it, he was the best for the job at, at, at least right. that's what i always say like he he was he was cast and he was just the best and no he was i mean he was amazing uh what was his name uh dwayne uh, yeah <laughs> damn um dwayne something no, it, no. yeah yeah, it was Dwayne. Doesn't say it here. Uh, mm. I, I'm going to look it up. Uh, let's go on. Okay. Yeah, and... So, you know, this was... While you're looking that up, it, you say it was super progressive, and it, it helped to define the the zombie genre. You know, last week on those movie guys, my classic pick of the week was Plan 9 from Outer Space, <laughs> which, if you're unfamiliar, was originally titled Grave Robbers from Outer Space. But because of where the money was coming from and the funding, they had to change the... Uh, the title a bit, but those were pretty much zombies up until this point. Just, you know, like, brrr. but you never really saw the gore and, you know, zombies eating intestines. And I think they they used actual raw uh, animal meat when they were filming Night of the Living Dead. He had like sheep, I think it was sheep intestines. Yeah, not I, intestines, I think. But like a raw liver. Is, isn't it like. Somebody was eating like. Um, is, isn't it like the, the whole reason we now have. Uh, f- flesh-eating zombies is because I think Romero or someone in the team knew a butcher and that's why they got all the meat for really cheap. And that's the reason why yeah. the zombies eat flesh because they said, hey, we, we got a butcher. We can just get lots of meat and let people eat it. <laughs> and it's so crazy that they never call them zombies. Everyone swears up and down that they hear the word zombie in that movie. And, you know, we say it was the first zombie movie because, to your point, it helped define what a modern zombie would be. Slow-moving chewing at flesh, but they always just called them ghouls. They were like, oh, if you see a ghoul, you just, what does he tell them when the sheriff's talking? You see a ghoul, you just shoot it in the head, you throw it on the fire, and that's it. Stay inside. If it's your loved ones, I'm sorry. You got to burn them quick. But they, yeah, there were ghouls throughout the entirety of this movie. And one of my personal favorite things about the movie, and I, I don't know why it resonated with me even as a kid, is the, the news playing in the background. Like there's always yeah. this this sound of almost a, a docudrama where you have these newsreels constantly playing and we're going to stay on the air as long as we can. They recommend you get to there's safe houses here and here, whatever. But that that constant feed of news coming in and the, the heavy shadows, the I don't know. I just love this movie. Also, we, we can go even further into it. Like what, what else did they do? Like they have a little girl in the uh turn into a zombie like the daughter turn into a zombie that's not something you see at the time i think this was like right before the rating system was introduced or something so this movie was seen by all ages in driving uh, right. cinemas and uh, it must have been horrifying in in the uh, 60s to see this kind of movie 
Also, I think what's what's really funny by now that uh, you don't even think about it first, but the, like the the main bad guy, like you know, zombies. Since the first movie, it's never about the zombies; it's always about the people. And the the first the, the father. Oh, by the way, uh, he's named Dwayne Jones. <laughs> Jones, uh, okay. Yeah, but the the the, the father, the, the the family man, he's the bad guy in this movie, right? He always like to just go down and stay down in the in the basement as long as possible and in the end that's what actually worked like and in the end when right. jones goes down and stays there also this movie is just so quotable like uh you know they're coming to get you barbara it's right. it's one of my favorite lines yeah, of all i mean time. that's Everybody's heard that line and, you know, a little shameless self-promotion. I did get a chance to interview Judith O'Day. So if you are interested, look up those movie guys podcasts, go through the back catalog. I don't even remember what episode it was, but it, um, it, it was amazing to hear her talk about the making of the movie and how they had put it all together. And from everything she said, you know, it seemed like a, a really pleasant experience. Like everybody was just on, on board, you know, it didn't matter who you were, if you needed to help with the lights, you help with the lights. If you needed to carry some boxes in, you did that. And it always interested me in this one that we would see zombies later on is super stupid. But in this one, they use tools relatively quickly. Yeah, the first zombie really you know, uses they, they, rock to th uh, open the window. Right. Well, and even the little girl picks up the, the garden spade. Yeah. And that's what she ends up stabbing her mother with, which we always see. Yeah, because he busts out the headlight super fast. And so we had this kind of digression of the zombie once we got to Dawn of the Dead, because I don't think in Dawn, I don't remember them using a ton of I don't think so, no. tools and weapons and things like that. But Night of the Living Dead, I think it's reached some of the the cultural fame that it has, you know, the, the huge deal with the copyright that everybody is familiar with. This movie is still free outside of the 4K version, and we had discussed that before. And she was kind of filling me in on that and said it was such a different movie that they granted it a new copyright when they did the 4K restoration because so much of it was different. I don't know if it's really that different or they were like, hey, we got to make this right. And, you know, because it would suck to be one of those people in that movie and never see a dime for it because, yeah, just um, because what was it? They changed the, was it the title or the copyright they, they number? Changed, something they didn't the title, get changed. Yeah, they changed the title and yeah, forgot to put the copyright the uh, on it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. But it did launch Romero's career and really define zombies as we know them today. They've made some small changes, but for the most part, the flesh-eating monsters. And this was what a radioactive comet brought them I think so, yeah. all back to life. Yeah. They don't really get into it too much. There was a really cool... Um, did you ever see it? I want to say it was on the... I don't know what anniversary edition, but a bunch of film students actually made a little intro video and kind of a, a prequel opening type, not a prequel, but an opening sequence right before the events that we open up at. That was really neat. It was oh, them burying awesome. that first guy that comes back in and gets Judith and uh, um, or gets Barbara and her brother. It was him, them burying him, and then the stuff at Beekman's Diner, the truck's blowing up as um, Ben is talking about it. And he's saying, oh, I was at the diner, and there was 10 of these things, and they knocked over a... They were all over this gas truck. You get to see all that stuff, which is really fun. That's awesome. It's probably on YouTube somewhere. I'll see if I can find it. I'll send you a link. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Like, <clears throat> this is, by the way, the movie I probably own the most because I have at least 
three or four versions of that movie because I've got uh, one of those anniversary Steelbooks editions. I've got it in at least two or three horror movie collections because it's still free, so yeah. everyone puts it on every collection. <laughs> yeah, because you can put it right on the cover. It's a recognizable name. Yeah. You can say, oh, this collection includes Night of the Living Dead. There's always those, like Carnival of Souls, Night of the Living Dead. They're always in those collections of horror movies that you see because, like you said, they're free. Why not? And officially, that movie is still banned as far as I know. <laughs> in Germany? Night of the Living Dead? I, I think so, yeah. But yeah, let's go okay. on. Yeah? Yeah. We're already at almost 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, <laughs> and it's not going to get any faster. Number nine. <laughs> 1987, directed by Sam Raimi, Evil Dead 2. Ugh, the Evil Dead. And specifically Evil Dead 2. You know, Raimi had the... Did you get a chance to watch the... the uh, what was it called? In the, the, the Woods? The first movie, yeah, I watched it. Yeah. yeah. What did you think about that? Uh, yeah, it, it it was, like, crazy that it's it's basically the Evil Dead, like, from just... just even lower budget than the Evil Dead. Right. Yeah, because it's <laughs> but, only about like a half hour. I think it was like a half hour long. Yeah, and Not the much quality wasn't as good, so I, I, I had trouble understanding what they were saying often. But in the end, it was, oh, it, it was really good. And like it's you cool could to see, see, you could see Sam Raimi already all over it. Yeah. <laughs> so but, Evil Dead Two, we got the Evil Dead, and it was successful. And Raimi had a chance now to make, I think, the movie he originally wanted to make. Yeah. You know, is is what happened with The Evil Dead 2. And it's one of those weird instances where it's not really a sequel. It's called Evil Dead 2, but it's in a lot of ways just a reimagining of the first movie okay. more than anything else. And this did, you know, it wouldn't exist without things like, what year was Brain Dead? Uh, no, Braindead was after. Braindead was after. Braindead was 90s, right? 90. Yeah, exactly. I think 92 yeah. or something. So yeah. Braindead wouldn't exist without Evil Dead. Yeah, no. And <laughs> this was one of those first kind of like weird amalgams of comedy and horror that really hadn't been done yet. And his comedy, you know, Raimi's always stated he's such a huge fan of the, the Three Stooges. And you see that all over this movie. We've talked about Bruce Campbell's charisma and the dude really is, and I was having this conversation with um, Jason, and, you know, we were talking about his physical acting is just yeah. so good. And in this one, it's probably the best of all. Yeah, when he's fighting his own hand. Yeah. That's all him doing that. <laughs> right. Like... Dragging himself across the floor and then and then hitting himself in the head with all the, <laughs> yeah. the dishes. With, with the plates, yeah. Yeah. And at one point, he grabs himself by the head and does a complete flip. It's almost like his own <laughs> hand pulls him up off the ground and then flips him over and slams him down in this uh, in this scene. And that's that's his crazy ability to, to carry that by himself. I mean, it's just one guy doing this yeah. thing because he does have that, like, smoothness about him. Yeah, he's pretty campy. And it's like, oh, you know... Give me some sugar, baby. Like, yeah, I'd give him some sugar. Like, dude is super smooth and sexy. And um, But the Evil Dead 2, Raimi now had the money to do all these weird animations that I think he wanted to do. You know, when the when the living room comes alive and you got the, yeah. the animal heads on the wall laughing and, and going crazy and shit like that? It's just so good. Yeah. And what's... Uh, and I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. And I, I think it's um, this weird kind of mix of sequel and remake and whatever 
because if if I remember correctly, the first movie was produced by another studio, so they didn't have the rights to the first movie. That's why they had to remake the oh, beginning is that of what the it movie. Was? I I think so because uh they they didn't th- these are all made by different studios. I think that's also why in the uh, Army the, of Darkness, uh, Ash versus e- no oh, by okay. uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, they can't mention some things that happened because some of the rights are by someone else. And so uh oh, that's why they that's why they had to remake the first movie because they it's like I think the first 10 minutes is basically remake and then it goes off and does its own uh, thing goes different. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's um <clears throat> excuse me. And another instance I I really I swear I'm not trying to promote my other show but I had the uh, the awesome opportunity to do an interview with Tom Sullivan who did all the the special effects on the first movie. And again, you know, talking to him, they, it it was such a labor of love for these guys. Like everybody was out there and just super into it, no matter what you had to do to help the production along. And for, I don't know anybody who's not seen the evil dead. There might be still some people out there who haven't seen the evil dead or the evil dead Two. evil dead Two is the superior of the original three movies. Army of darkness is fun, but it's, it's such a departure from from the Evil Dead. You know, we're we're cast into medieval England and now fighting uh, skeletons. I love the skeletons though, and they're all marching along, playing the the drums <laughs> yeah. and the little flutes, the bone flutes and stuff. But Evil Dead Two, it, it's fantastic. You know, I love the the look. Those um, the Deadites have always just had this amazing just appearance. They're so different yeah. than any other demon like you can always separate a deadite now in, in Raimi's other stuff you still see some of that you know drag me to hell very similar look but in evil dead 2 and you got ash with the chainsaw and I, there's just so much you could say about this that, movie that's great yeah yeah we haven't even mentioned that yeah he cuts his own hand off and then puts a chainsaw on top right. of it and uh, it's it's like just an iconic image and uh yeah, Evil Dead 1 was uh, banned until, like, I think last year over here. It was really, this was one, like, basically the most famous banned movie over here. And now uh, the Evil Dead 2, 2 wasn't banned. So that's hmm. uh, because I think they added so much humor that they, they decided, okay, it's it's all right. And um, maybe easier to yeah, disassociate, oh. you know, because there is so much comedy. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's what they that's what they went for because it's still uh, fucking yeah. brutal. <laughs> yeah, I mean gallons and gallons of blood, but even the blood is almost comedic in its volumes because it's just yeah. so much, like a fire hose full of blood spraying somebody in the face. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, the Evil Dead too is just, and yeah, oh, Ash, um, yeah, uh, Bruce Campbell is just like the best. Like I could watch him just for. I know I could watch him do anything. Like put him on a cooking show, and I would sit and watch it, because he is yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he's so charismatic. Yeah, (laughs) I I feel like his his characters are not just characters. I think that's just he's (laughs) just that 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 funny. uh, uh, Yeah, I don't know. He's just awesome. And again, hometown heroes, bunch of Michigan kids. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's go on. Um, Number eight. Oh, I, I'm, I'm wondering what you're going to say about this. It's from 1991, directed by Jonathan Demme, The Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. So <laughs> I I was um, a guest on a, another show not long ago, 
uh, My Celluloid Heart, and we did three movies inspired by Ed Gein, and this was one of them. So we talked at length about Silence of the Lambs. It, you know, and the more I talked about it, I get why it's on this list, but at the same time, I would not have put it this high on the list. Is it one of the best movies on this list? Yes. Like, it, everything about it yeah. is just executed almost flawlessly to tell you this amazing story. But is it traditional horror? I, it, it's weird because you have the relationship with Clarice and Lecter. You know, in a lot of ways, he he loves her and treats her almost like a daughter figure. They They form this really tight bond which is strange for a horror movie for the killer to show compassion and show that, yes, he has a level of understanding, but when it comes to Buffalo Bill, you you know, he's more of the, the sadistic killer. But this one feels, I don't know, there's like a whole other level of just depth to Silence of the Lambs that to me makes it so psychological more than even a genuine horror movie. Now, there are some genuinely scary things in this movie, We've talked like right. Anthony Hopkins, yeah, like Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> and but even him, I I feel like he's more relatable in a way to to you know uh, if it was me against a deadite, then I know it's just me against a deadite. With Hopkins, you almost get this feeling like, well, if you were on his good side, then you're okay, you're safe. It just depends on if you can develop that relationship with this human being, and would you ever really be safe? I don't know. But he did have that level of compassion that I don't think a lot of horror movies have with their with their killer. But Silence of the Lambs, does it need to be on the list? Yes, absolutely. Because I think it's and it's one of the most accessible horror movies because it's not traditional gore. It's a it's a serial killer movie more than Yeah, it's it's almost more of a right. thriller than a real horror yeah. movie. Like you you could put it up there with uh with uh, seven and um, what's the other one? A Zodiac, even though Zodiac is probably yeah, more Zodiac, of a but the only one based on a true story that this guy was actually writing all these fucked yeah. up letters, like, "Hey, I'm gonna keep killing people," which is super scary in its own right. Yeah. But yeah, I would say it's right up there with something like Seven. I mean, you could watch those back to back and yeah. almost consider them the same movie because it's it's uh, in a lot of ways a race against the clock type movie. And with Seven, they're trying yeah. to find this killer, and in Sounds the lamb. She's trying to save the senator's daughter and figure out before he ends up killing again or killing this girl that they're trying to rescue. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I still don't know how I feel about it. I think it's, I don't want anyone to think though that I'm I'm just trying to take away from Sounds the Lambs because I get it. Like I get why it won all the Oscars that it did. It definitely deserved it. Yeah. But I don't know if it deserves to be top ten horror movies of all time. It's just, um, let me ask, uh, Shayna's Sounds the Lambs top 10 horror of all time in your eyes? <laughs> I don't know if you can hear. Yeah. Yeah, she says yes. Okay. I'll have to get. <laughs> okay, then it's, it's, deci it's, it's decided. It's decided. It deserves to be there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was, I'm, I still don't know what the next one is, but after coming from Night of the Living Dead, going to Evil Dead 2. And then Silence of the Lambs. And, and, and then I saw Silence of the Lambs. It felt out of place. It felt like. I don't yeah, know. maybe somebody listening, you but, can write us, you know, shoot us a message and let us know if you think. Maybe we need to do a poll and see what people think. Does Silence of the Lambs deserve <laughs> to be top 10? We already got one vote for yes from my wife. So, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to <laughs> get a taste. But it was so yeah. 
you know, and, and you, what was weird is when I was talking to Jay, um, um, not Jason, when I was uh, talking to Phil about it on his show, is one of the things that scared me the most as a kid was when she first goes down there and that dude's jerking off and throws cum in her hair. Like, that always bothered me more than anything else. I was like, Ugh! like, it made me feel <laughs> sick and disgusting. So gross. Yeah, but, yeah, but... um What I gotta say is that uh, I I don't know what we decided on, but we talked about the greatest horror movie. And I think films. we kicked him off the list. And yeah, I think we kicked him off, even though I I think I was fighting yeah. for him, even though I I still believe that it doesn't really fit on this number eight spot. Uh, but but still, yeah, um, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter is just awesome yeah, he's and so like good. creepy, and you every scene you see him in. You just have to look at him, and he is one of the the greatest right. horror baddies, or at least bad guys yeah, in general. He's so good. Greatest villains. Oh, you know what else hasn't been on this list <laughs> yeah. yet? Psycho. Which, uh, okay, okay, it's. I'm hoping it's coming up sometime soon, but <laughs> yeah, but probably later than sooner, right. maybe. Like, yeah. Okay. okay let, let's see what's up next. Okay, <laughs> from 1975. I didn't even think about this one. Directed by Steven Spielberg. It's Jaws. Yes. <laughs> Jaws. So the first summer blockbuster of all time. It's credited as being, yeah. you know, the first time that there were weeks and weeks and weeks of just lines of people coming to see this movie. And is Jaws a horror movie? Is a good question. Because Yeah, it's it's a shark movie. Yeah. It's a monster movie. No, it, it most definitely is a monster movie. And you know, even he apologized. After the movie came out, the the author, what was his name? Um, was it Benchley? Was uh, it? Let's see if it um, says it here. Uh, I want to say it was like Pete, Peter. Go to look yeah, it up. It was like Peter on. Benchley. Um, but Jaws, he apologized because he said, I never meant for this to happen because after the movie came out, he regretted it because so many people just started killing sharks like all over the world. People were just uh, murdering. And I'm pretty sure it's Peter Benchley. People were just, okay. Peter Benchley, yeah, yeah. People were just murdering sharks left and right. Um, and so he felt terrible about it because in reality, sharks do not kill like they do in this movie. And even by the time we get to the fourth movie, I mean, that shark follows her from new England <laughs> all the way to the Bahamas and, and is still trying to kill her. But, you know, you think about young Spielberg, and this is one I've read a lot, and this is one of the two movies, actually, this and Psycho are the two that I think the movies are superior to the books. I've read both of them, watched both of them. This is a Jaws is a movie I've seen, you know, 50, 60 times. It's one that I'll always just turn on. And a lot of things worked for it and against it that made the movie better. You know, they could not get that fucking shark to work to save their lives. And there's a really cool, I think it's called The Jaws Journal, that I read and one of the production people was writing it as they were making the movie. So it's all, you know, accounts of what was happening while they're making it. Uh, awesome. Yeah. And they, they talk about, you know, the Island people not being all that nice. Um, and the Island people even having this mentality there, you know, they tell the story of a woman who was, and this is real life. She was, she was born on a boat. Like her mother was pregnant. Her mother had lived on the Island She was born on a boat and then brought to the island and lived there her whole life and still was never considered an islander because she wasn't actually born on the boat so or on the island. So they had this mentality about him. And Spielberg, you know, he's young, 20, what was he, 25, 24, 25 when he made Jaws? I think, 
I'm going to look. Yeah, he was uh, he, 75. Yeah, he was um, he was super young. You know, it's like Orson Welles making Citizen Kane. Uh, 29. Spielberg was super. What, what did you say? I think 29. Like he was born in 46. Okay. So to 75, that would be 29. Okay. But it was that when it young. came out. Because I know they were in production for. Yeah. He was still, I mean, he's a young dude making this movie. And, but the yeah. shark not working so much because they wanted to reveal the shark so much earlier. But I think it, it works out so well in that you build this suspense and you're just seeing that through the water, you know, the shark's point of view. You're seeing the camera moving, getting those, you know, one of the most iconic scores of all time. Just like in Psycho, you hear that re, 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 and this, you hear that da-dum, da-dum. And everybody knows that so well. And and you've got a great performances. One of my favorite performances of all time in any movie is when they're all three in the in the boat and you know they're underneath telling the stories of the the scars and how they all got the different scars. And uh Robert Shaw tells that amazing story of the USS Indianapolis and I'm sure most people are familiar with the story, but the ship that was returning from dropping off the bomb that would be dropped on Hiroshima and all these guys going into the water with all the sharks. But he tells that great, great story and they're singing the sea songs. And then it's just three men versus a shark. But again, in the production, you know, you hear them talking about everybody knew they were making this movie. So they'd constantly have to be turning the boat around. So there weren't a bunch of sailboats in the background. Because everybody was trying to get up close to see what was going on. And it was just a really cool production. And yes, it, it it is a horror movie in a lot of ways, especially for the time. You got to view it through the eyes of 1975 before, you know, because what yeah. were our monster movies before that? You had, you know, them and Godzilla, all the stuff coming out of Japan. But you didn't have a lot of homegrown monster movies. And this would spawn some weird shit like Orca. And I don't know. Have you ever seen Orca? And no, you I should watch that. It was trying to trying to bank on the Jaws fame, and it's about a killer whale. It's a yeah, yeah. it's pretty goofy. I'm 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 really not that into these shark movies. Like I've seen a few, and none of them really got me interested. So I'm never really looking forward to them. I've also only seen Jaws one so far. I haven't seen any of the sequels yet. Yeah, the Jaws two is fun. Um, three is really, really goofy. So it was Jaws 3D. It was originally released in 3D. And there's this shot of the shark coming. There's like a, um, an aquarium and there's like an underwater tunnel, you know, where you can go walk and see all the fish and, and shit and whatnot over your head. And there's a, a, a shot of the shark coming at this tunnel, but the shark isn't moving at all. It's just a static shark, like no tail movement, no nothing. And it's just slowly coming towards the screen, just a still shark moving towards the screen. And it looks like a slow moving, like a submarine almost, you know, how you would expect it to see. And I'm, I'm a big fan of shark awesome. movies. I love shark movies. Um, some other good ones. Uh, the reef is really good. And bait bait was a lot of fun. Um, Deep blue sea is a good time. All the shark NATO shit is super goofy, but the mag, the mag from this year was fun too. If you get a chance to see the mag, that was cool. But, Jaws, yeah, sorry, I feel like I talked a lot about that one. Um, so you- it's okay. I actually don't have as much to say about this movie, so it's good. I've only seen it once. I liked it, but I'm I'm not fully... 
I gotta rewatch it because I don't have it fully in front yeah, of my head. Yeah, you should check it out again. But if we talk about Shark, you gotta mention the podcast favorite Sharkman. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Sharkman. Let's go on. Another movie I I almost forgot about. <laughs> Number six from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott. Alien. An alien. Alien is one of those weird instances where the first two movies are so different because the the first movie is a I, I still call it a haunted house movie for the most part. And the second movie is action. It's just all action. The first one is yeah. scary as shit. And you know what's the tagline? In in space, nobody will hear you or nobody can hear you scream, which I think is super yeah. cool. Alien, I'll let you kick this one off since I talked so much about Jaws, but why don't you get us started on Alien? Alien, well, it's, yeah, it's just like, uh, so, it's, it's an, it's a movie set in, uh, in space, but really, um, yeah, the, the alien is basically a slasher in this movie. Yeah. It's always hiding, then coming out, killing someone, back into hiding, and, uh, it's, it's just so well done, and, uh really scary is this the first movie with the cat jump scare or is it just the, the most notorious for it <laughs> but uh it, it i would say i don't know if it's the first but there is um like you said you know the alien is constantly moving in the shadows and you've got this this they're just a salvage ship the the nostromo is just a, a salvage ship that's out there Sent to do this thing, they all wake up. And I love the beginning of Alien when everything's just coming to life, when the ship is coming back to life. You know, it's kind of been yeah, in this, yeah, awesome. this deep sleep, and then the computer slowly turn on. All of our people wake back up, and um, they're sent out, hey, we got to go check this thing out. And if they just would have fucking listened to Ripley to begin with, she's like, no, like, this is against quarantine. Dude, you can't come back on the ship. You cannot come on the ship. Against quarantine, against quarantine. What do they do? They don't listen to Ripley. They bring the alien on board. And from what I understand, no, none of the other cast knew that the chestburster was going to happen. Like, they knew something was going to happen, but they weren't fully aware that this little thing was going to come bursting out of out of dude's chest. And so a lot of those reactions are, are genuine. And, you know, it, yeah. Alien wouldn't have been Alien without Geiger. You have to mention Geiger because his designs are just, oh, they're creepy. Like the, I mean, he was an amazing artist, but everything was real, like wet and sexual and biomechanical, and in so many different ways. Well, he designed the xenomorph, which, which is awesome, and you know, the xenomorph was such a crazy threat because they had the acidic blood. So even if you were to get some shots off, you had to make sure that you didn't get this blood on you, because, and they even say it like it's gonna, it's gonna go through the hull, like it just keeps burning through the ship, and it's gonna breach the ship. But you're always in yeah. the shadows, hunting them. And like you said, you know, you see these slow reveals of the alien, like slowly lowering itself down behind somebody once we finally get a good look at it. But then when you see it in the full out in the open, I mean, the thing's like sprinting faster than you can move. It was a genuine scary threat. But in this one, there's only the, the one of them, and that's it. You got this one xenomorph chasing yeah. all these people down, wreaking all this havoc, and it's um, it's super cool. Just a, a ton of fun and still works really well. Like the movie didn't, it didn't age yeah. bad at all. 
Yeah, not at all. And especially for, for a sci-fi movie, right? Like set in space. But it's still, I think you can watch that today and you wouldn't immediately know that it's uh, yeah. from the 70s. It could be It could be from maybe not exactly today, but maybe even exactly today. Like it's, it's if you watch a 4K restoration, for sure, it's, uh, it's going to look like they, they managed to have this, this space uh, station set that doesn't look bad or old school. It looks right. realistic and just like futuristic. Yeah, and how good is that title, though? The opening card? I love that, where the letters just slowly start to form and it's real, yeah, just ah, real yeah. slow as everything comes to life, like alien. Um, and, and, you know. Also, what a title. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just alien. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> Nothing else. And and we still have some of that, you know, how many times has the um, the chestburster been been spoofed? And and people talking about that. Not all the sequels are great, but that comes with any franchise. But the first two in this franchise definitely need to be seen. And this one, a hundred percent, a horror movie because it it is horror in every way. It, yes, it's an alien life form, but it's a truly terrifying alien life form that that still works. Sci fi so well. horror is still horror. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And but but talking about this franchise, just talking about the. Uh, the, the directors of the first three movies. We got Ridley Scott, David Cameron. James Cameron. James Cameron. Yeah. David Cameron. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, now, now I can't think of the third name, of course. Uh, uh, David yeah. Fincher. <laughs> like, that's the, the, the three directors. And, of course, David Fincher, it wasn't his best movie. It was his first movie, and he worked for the studio. But, yeah, it's uh, dead, dead already. So let's go on. Okay. Number five. From 1935, directed by James Whale. We talked about it. We knew it Bride was going to be on the list. It's Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. It is one. And we have to, we kind of talked about it at, at length a few times. But I, yeah. I've mentioned, you know, it is my favorite of the Universal Monster movies. And I, it's the best. It is the best in that up until this point, and and I don't know many people who have done it very effectively since you you normally don't have compassion for the monster, especially not in the 30s. oh yeah. yeah absolutely not in the thirties at all you don't have compassion and even today a lot of the times you don't have compassion for the monster and you know we've talked about Leatherface and how if he had been in a different environment he probably would have been a very different person he wasn't born evil. He was just a product of his environment. But that's something you kind of have to dig for. In this one, you get that just amazing... Because the bride's only there for how many minutes? Nine, ten? If that? Yeah, not not much. Yeah, yeah. she's only... Just at yeah, the ending. Basically. Yeah, she's only there for a few minutes at the end. And then you get Karloff delivering the lines that he delivers. And, you know, you never feel for the monster. And it's such a weird experience when you get to the end of it. And it's like, who... Who am I rooting for here? And, you know, I don't think Rob Zombie did it as effectively, but even in The Devil's Rejects, to a certain extent, if you're not paying attention, you start to feel for the Firefly family as they're getting tortured by the cop. And it's like, okay, that's weird. Like, why do I feel any kind of compassion? Like, should nobody ever feel this? But with Frankenstein's monster and the bride, they, it's, it's almost tragic. It's, the the monster the name is the monster but it's not really a monster it's just uh it, it was created and because he he looked kind of weird and was tall and couldn't 
talk. He became the monster through that. He didn't like he he did never anything, at least not anything bad out of no reason. Like he killed in the first movie, he killed the um the little uh, the, the the hunchback uh, helper. But he did that because that guy tortured him right. all the time, and then he drowned he drowned the girl because uh yeah he he was having fun and thought oh she's right. gonna float and threw her in there, and that's how it goes on here. Now the, he meets the the old uh the old blind man who teaches him and who's actually nice to him. And in the end, he's, he's the, he's the hero basically, right? He, we belong dead. And then he, uh, he burns himself and them all to the, because he realizes that he can't, he doesn't want to cause any other pain in the world or, and, and to a certain, you know, he, he gains this self-awareness of what he is. And he, even he understands the monster. Like you can't play God. You can't, bring things back from the dead. What's dead is dead and should stay dead. And throughout the first two movies, you know, you mentioned so many times he, he has all these experiences with death. And then he sees her going through the same things that he went through when he was first reanimated. When, you know, the chaos in his life, because she is lost in all of it. You know, you see the looks on her face and Lancaster did such an amazing job playing that character, but you see her, kind of the panic and he recognizes that and is like, we don't belong in this world. Like we, we just don't belong here. And so he's almost doing her a service and himself and the rest of the world. Now we would still get a whole bunch of more sequels. So don't worry folks, spoiler alert from a movie that's (laughs) damn near a hundred years old. Um, We will get some more Frankenstein's monster, but this one, yeah, it, it was something I don't think anybody ever expected. And I don't think you'll ever truly be able to replicate because it was so new and so fresh, but there's so many philosophical ideas in this thing that you could talk about for hours about what each, you know, each little segment meant um, the relationship and the parallels to human existence. And it, it, I'm glad it's this high up on the list because it's a very smart movie. Yeah, and also what what I always what what always is kind of for, uh, undershadowed is the the special effects, especially um, for nineteen thirty five when Doctor Pretorius comes in with the with the little people yeah. and the asses and the yeah. jars, and I I still don't know how exactly they did that because uh, it, it looks because I think as far as I know he's interacting with those little people at least yeah he's talking to them and yeah yeah and so yeah okay let's go on because <clears throat> we. I, I think at some point, if this podcast goes on long enough, we'll probably have an episode on each one of these right. movies at some point. Yeah. Uh, and number four is, I think we can skip this. We don't even need to talk about it. 1978, directed by John Carpenter. It's Halloween. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. We, we did a whole episode about the Halloween franchise. There's no reason to... To, to dwell on this one for any amount of time because if you want to hear it to us talk about especially we spent a lot of time on the first one every anyone listening to this show i think i've mentioned it every episode it's my favorite <laughs> franchise of all time um yeah we can just go past it and and if you want to hear that stuff go back to the episode where we talked about it but uh i am glad that it is this high on the list deserves to be there 100 created the american slasher as we know it so what do we got for number uh, number three? Yeah, so uh, let, let's let's play a little game once again. What do you th- what do we think are the top three? Now that we know exactly what it is, I think The Exorcist, Psycho, and I I'm pretty sure that Friday the Thirteenth is not gonna be on that list. 
It, I'm going to be fucking pissed. You know what, though? I think it is. I think you nailed the top three. I think it is Psycho, Exorcist, and Friday the 13th. So okay. Let, let's see all right. if, if it's either of those. Num- I, okay. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to look it up now. Okay, number three, 1960, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It's Psycho. <laughs> yes. Which, yeah, it's... Uh, Psycho, Psycho is just awesome. You know, and this is another one I, I had mentioned, I talked about on my cellular heart for quite a while. And it is my favorite movie of all time. Psycho is just, in my eyes, perfect in every way. And art is relative, you know. it's Everybody's got their own favorite movie. This is it for me. And I just think it is, he was firing on all cylinders when he did this movie. And it's crazy because he was coming off of North by Northwest and everybody told him, they're like, what are you doing, dude? Like, why are you going to make this little pulp trash movie after you just made this masterpiece? And Psycho... I, I don't know. It's uh, all the actors, the the camera angles, the story. Just there's so many things I love about the this movie. The whole the whole score just being nothing but strings, and yeah. you know that was um, it just so. And the little details like she's wearing white at the beginning, and then after she steals the money, she's wearing all black. All those little things that went into this, and for <coughs> excuse me. So much of this movie, if you didn't know what this movie was, you would never know it was going to be a horror movie for the first 40 minutes of the movie, 30, 40 minutes of the yeah. movie. It's it's more of a, a road, you know, crime movie. Like you said, it could just be a thriller. And yeah. the, and she, you know, it's so heartbreaking that Janet Lee, the Marion Crane character, she decides, okay, I'm going to give the money back. Like after she has this beautiful conversation with Norman, when they're having the the sandwiches in the in the parlor and he kind of she takes away from him like you can't run away from your problems that's impossible cuz she's asks him so like why don't you just leave why don't you just get out of here well i couldn't leave my mother and she starts to gain this understanding of okay there's no way to truly run away so i'm going to do the right thing i'm going to take this money back and face the consequences whatever they may be and then you get, of course, I mean, one of the most iconic film scenes of all time is the shower scene. Everybody knows that shower scene. And I think, yeah, and then you get that great doo-doo, doo-doo, and her keeping their, her eyeball open. I have no idea how she kept her eyes so still for that long <laughs> as Hitchcock was pulling back on that. And, you know, I, I think even when Jaws came out, they said, like, Psycho made you afraid to take a shower. Jaws will make you afraid to go in the water. And in, yeah. in so many ways, Psycho did scare people to the point of, um, you know, not even wanting to take a shower. Because that's someplace you should feel relatively safe is, you know, in your own home. Well, I guess she wasn't in her home. She was in the hotel. But you should feel relatively safe in that situation. And they really, they really made it an unsafe place to be. But like Silence of the Lambs, you know, this could be considered a psychological thriller in a lot of ways because it was, but, but you don't get the psychological aspect. I think with science of the lambs, you get it from the beginning. You start getting into the psychological aspect with psycho. You don't know until the very end of the movie that there was a psychological component. For the most part, it was a a slasher movie and we assume everybody just believes it's the mother and, and how good are those scenes? I love the, the the my favorite sequence in the whole movie is when Arbogast is coming up the stairs and 
you get that awesome like bird's eye view shot where it's looking down from the ceiling and you've got these crazy angles of upstairs like the hallway coming down the hallway takes a 90 degree turn then you got the stairs going down you see Arbogast coming up and then out of nowhere fucking Norman just comes running out of that room out of his mother's room and spoiler alert Norman is his mom if you've never seen Psycho Norman comes running out of that room and just gets Arbogast right in the face and I know, I think you even said you didn't like the look of the Arbogast going down the stairs where you got that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's great. I love that. But but before that is the shot that I love. It's just like so perfectly framed is the angles of that entire scene and Norman just coming out, hitting Arbogast in the face with the knife. And then, of course, him falling down. But Psycho, I don't know, man. I just love it. I just love that movie. I don't know what else to say about it. I feel like it's I've talked crazy. about it so, so many times. So many times. Yeah, but there's really so much you can say about it. It's um, Anthony Perkins' performance as so uh, Norman good. Bates. I, I still, like, I, I managed to actually watch this movie with a with a person who had never seen it or knew the, pl the plot. Oh, that's cool. And getting the right reactions. Like, when, uh, yeah, when it turns out that Norman Bates is actually the killer and that his mother was dead all along. And like for the, for the first, at least half of the movie, she loved Norman Bates because he's such a lovable yeah. guy. And then he turns out to be killing these people. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, and the black and white is beautiful. And uh, I think this is basically in black and white because not only did people say you can't do this, this is like a trash, but wasn't he also basically, um, he didn't have right. much funding. He made this movie with his television crew. Yeah, a lot of it was, like, his, I think a lot of it was his own money. And him trying to raise the money to make yeah. this. Because like you said, nobody, and, and again, the book to this, it's fine. But it's nowhere near the caliber of the movie. And, you know, you mentioned Norman Bates in the book. He's, I think, like overweight and balding. And kind of a grosser, I, I don't want to, nothing against anybody who's overweight and balding. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But he, I don't think he was as approachable as Anthony Perkins. Like you said, Perkins had this warm, inviting presence where you, you like, wanted to yeah. root for this guy. And and in so many ways, you, yeah. you felt bad for him. And I think had they really pulled the character straight from the book, you wouldn't have had that emotional connection that you have with Norman like we do as played by Anthony Perkins. But yeah, the the whole making of this and there's a movie, I mean Hitchcock, the the movie is about him making this this movie and kind of his struggle going through this. This is kind of an all-in bet for him. Him trying to to see this big return on yeah. investment and he did. I mean it it showed up in spades. It, it's just uh just flawlessly executed and <laughs> beautiful from start to finish. There's Again, nothing wrong with this movie that I can I can think of. And and yeah. and you know, you talk about movies being progressive in a lot of ways, like dealing with this this psychosis that he was going through is you know, you might see it in a movie for a minute, but we get this whole explanation at the end where the doctor is explaining it to him, like, oh well, Norman killed all these people, and he's like, Well, actually, Norman didn't kill anybody. And then he gives you this long dialogue about what exactly was going on in Norman's brain. And then, man, that final closing shot of him just sitting there perfectly still, the mother's voice running in his head, like, I'll show them, I'll show them all. Yeah. Like, I won't even hurt this fly. 
and then you get that like exposed skull over top of his face, and you know that deep down there's yeah. evil in this person. And I, I I wish like I could have been an audience member the first time this thing was shown because can you imagine the reaction yeah. that this got? It's probably nuts. Yeah. Also, uh, this was um, this this movie changed cinema culture, right? Because before 1960, before this movie, cinema was like a, a fun thing to go to. You went to the movie. The movie was running. You went in 30 minutes late, sat down and watched the movie. And Hitchcock said with this movie, no, no one is going to be seated after the, the right. credits rolled, after it started. Because... Yeah, because he didn't want people to be uh, surprised uh, after um, after Marion Crane isn't in right. the movie anymore because Janet Lee was the big star at the time. Yeah, she was the and, big name. Uh, like they, they, also, nobody expected they were going to kill yeah, her she, off because she was Janet Lee. I mean, yeah, by now it's it's forgotten. No one thinks about that anymore. But she was the she was the the selling. Yeah, point which is kind of fun to think about. Her and her daughter are in the top one hundred side by side. It's Halloween then Psycho. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. And, um, yeah, also, uh, what else was I going to say? There, there's just so much. Filmhouse did a whole episode on this movie. Michael and I have some yeah. really great discussion on this movie because... He yeah, Michael thinks, thinks differently about everything. But That's all right, though. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It does. It, it makes for fun conversation. Let's go on. Number two... I. I have no idea what's what number one is gonna be, because it sure as hell isn't gonna that's be number the two. Because that's oh. number two, William Friedkin, nineteen seventy three, and yet now, right. now we're sure, right? Number one is so. Not has there be really the not 13th. been a Friday the Thirteenth movie on this entire list? Don't look! I'm, don't I'm look! Gonna, I'm gonna scroll. Through oh, okay. You're no, scrolling no, the other just way. Scrolling up if it's. If it's I, come up before, yeah. No, we haven't. Does, no, it. it yeah, because I feel like, like we would have had a, more of a conversation about that. But but also, I'm I'm not sure what they did as number one because no matter what horror movie comes Compared, out, it's always the scariest right. thing. Since it is the Exorcist. I, the Exorcist is in a lot of ways for especially mainstream horror. It's the gold standard against which you compare everything else. And it's the one, you know, when you talk to people about horror movies, everybody remembers the first time they saw The Exorcist. And it was a month or two ago, maybe, yeah, it was sometime around Halloween, maybe a month and a half ago. Um, Shana was watching it one night when I think Phil and I were recording and I came in and it was on TV. And it is still such an effective, terrifying little piece of cinema. And I don't, I, the idea of demon possession, I think in a lot of ways is some of the scariest content you can, you can put out in, in horror when it's done right, because there's no, really no way to protect yourself against it. Like you can't outrun it. When we watch a slasher, you're like, oh, if they could just get to the car and take off, they'll be safe with demonic possession there's really no way to get away from it. Like it can follow you from place to place and and you never know if it's just in the corner of the room where the demonic, you know, like a paranormal activity, like, is it just always there lingering in this room with you? And they took demonic possession to a whole new level when they put it in a child. And that was something. And now this is one where I would say the book is just amazing. Like read the, if you like the movie, read the book. It, it's super good. But this 
movie, I mean, scared people in a way, especially when you deal so closely with religion, because around the globe, I mean, Catholicism is one of the biggest religions on the planet when it comes to Christianity. And so, uh, so many people can relate to, to this movie specifically in bringing in the Catholic church, but the exorcist for me is still one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I watched it. I think I was like 14, 15 years old. I watched it alone in my mom's basement Yeah, and it fucked me up. Like it, it fucked my head up real good. Like the, the Exorcist is just, uh, it's it's also just. This is one like um, like the Science of the Lambs where we said it's uh, it's a great movie in its own, but also in a, a horror movie. This one is just just a great movie. I think it it won lots of Oscars as well. Like it's not only a great like it's one of the greatest right. movies ever made, and one of the greatest horror movies ever made, and um, they they managed to have this 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 crazy mix of like. Having a deep, deep movie that makes you think about belief and uh, what what is right. On the other hand, you have a scene where a girl says to a priest, "Your mother <laughs> sucks cocks in hell." Yeah, in, in the same movie, like you you have this movie with cast on so many levels where you can have just like well, well, a yeah, because you, yeah, because you have Karis who who's going through this existential crisis almost, you know, with, yeah. with his mother and him questioning his own faith. And like you said, then you've got Regan like shoving a crucifix into herself. <laughs> and and this is one where I do encourage people to watch the the director's cut. If only that spider walk is one of the <laughs> creepiest, most fucked up things because she comes down those stairs so fast. <laughs> Just like an insect. Just how you'd think an insect would move. Oh. She comes flying down those stairs. But but you're right, man, 100%. And then this is this is just a great movie. But at the same time, is one of the most terrifying movies, and yeah. some of that is the the special effects, just the makeup on her, the fact that they they froze that room the way they did, that it was that cold in there, and even, <laughs> you know, when she's slamming up and down on the bed, and they talk about like those are her real screams because they were truly like yanking her down with this rope, and and slamming her back against the bed, it's um and. I forget how many Oscars it won, but you talk about The Exorcist for a minute, and I'll look up the. Um, so when? How old were you when you saw uh, it for I the first time? I was probably also like thirteen, fourteen. I remember I rented it. This was after, um, after on uh, after Amazon started their first streaming service. They had this uh, law film, at least in Germany, where they sent out DVDs. I think like how Netflix started in the US by sending out DVDs. And I got The Exorcist through that and watched it with my sister in the living room. And it was just so, so fucked up and messed up. It was just crazy. And yeah, uh, oh yeah, it's it's just, I, I've seen it recently. I've also made an episode about this movie um, with Michael. And I think he agreed with me that this is just a great movie. Also. Oh, yeah. it's amazing. And, and real quick. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but it won for best writing screenplay based on material from another medium, and it won best sound. It was nominated for best picture, best actress in a leading role for uh, Ellen Burstyn, um, best actor supporting for Jason Miller, best actress supporting Linda Blair, best director, best cinematography, best art direction, film editing, and those are all the nominations that it so got. Many. So for a horror movie, yeah, for a horror movie to get all those is crazy but to your point it's it's a good movie yeah. outside of it being a horror movie and it's still just so terrifying like the 
you know, and even the the opening sequence when he's on the the archaeological dig and they find the stuff, and you got Pazuzu, and and the quick flashes you get of actual Pazuzu are are super uncomfortable. I was just that wondering why it wasn't nominated for best makeup, but then I remembered that wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, that wasn't because, a category. Uh, yeah. If you if you look at yeah. Max von Sydow, he looks like he's in his seventies, <laughs> and like he looks. Yeah, they did you, a great if job. If you just watch that movie and then the newest uh, the newest Star Wars movie, you would say you think yeah, he was he, the same age. Those movies were shot at <laughs> yeah. the same time, and yeah, that's it's it's crazy. Okay, let's go. I'm I. Do you have any idea what number one could be if it isn't Friday the 13th? Because right now I'm really stuck. I have no I idea. I can't think of any. Did we miss any of the Universal monsters? I don't want to go on. I want to know what we missed. No, because I don't think. But but what do you. The, the question is, what do you put yeah, after that, the exorcist? That's what I'm wondering. I, let's, let's just find out. All right, let's just do it. Here we go. Drum roll, <laughs> we, folks. We, we, we forgot one of the greatest movies of all time. This is actually a movie that has to be number one or two. Yeah. 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick, The Shining. How did we forget about that movie? <laughs> the Shining. You know what's funny, though, is I was just thinking in my head about The Shining, and I swear we already talked about it. Yeah, I... I, I swear we already talked I about The Shining. I didn't think about it at all. The and Shining is probably, if you're asking me, it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. Like, even... Like, uh, I've, I've seen so many horror movies, but this no is the way. one that scared me throughout. Like... Because it's not only the... Like, I've read the book before I've seen the movie with this one. And it's... Yeah, I did the same. I read the book in middle school. I was in, like, sixth, sixth grade, I think, when I read it. And, yeah, it fucked me up. It was um, it was scary, but I don't think it's scarier than The Exorcist. Uh, like, I think I could show... Sit down with just about anybody and watch these movies back-to-back. Watch The Shining, The Exorcist, in no particular order... I don't think The Shining even holds a candle to the terror in The Exorcist. Now, that is not to say that The Shining is not scary. I think The Shining is scary, and it's an amazing movie. To watch a man truly driven into madness is... It's it's fucked up. And you've got Kubrick's hand all over this. I just watched that... Um, did you watch Film Worker yet? Uh, what? Fil- Film Worker? No. It's a documentary. It's on Netflix right now. It's I think it's a Netflix original about um, Leon Vitelli, who played uh, or Vitali. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but he um, he played Lord um, Bullington in Barry Lyndon, and he was gonna be like everybody after Barry Lyndon was like, oh, we want you to come act in this like prominent Shakespeare theater. We want you to be in all these movies. This dude pretty much gave up acting. Not pretty much. He did. He gave up acting and dedicated his entire life to Stanley Kubrick and was pretty much his right-hand man through everything. And in a lot of ways, it was kind of sad because Kubrick, I mean, he was working like 19 hours a day. He said he would get dressed, put on his clothes for the next day, and just sleep on the floor in front of the door for a couple hours because he could never get a full night's sleep. Like, everything was for Stanley. But he talks about making all these movies. And actually, he was the one who got the performance out of the kid, little kid who plays Danny. Um, he was kind of the the in between with with this kid. But if you get a chance to watch that, it, it's really really I cool. Just looked it up. It's talking it's about not out over here, <laughs> not at all. Oh, that sucks. Um, you have <laughs> fuck. You need to figure out how to get an American Netflix account. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, get a U.S. account. But The Shining, 
So does it deserve to be in the top 10? Yes, absolutely. Because you're right, it is scary in so many ways. And I think the the isolation, I watched it for the first time in a long time, um, actually just sat down and watched it with no interruptions. Like didn't have my phone out, nothing like that, a few, two, three months ago. And it is so well done, so effective, and, and so weird that, you know, S- Stephen King and Kubrick, everybody knows about that relationship and how Kubrick was like, fuck you, I'm going to make the movie I want to make. I don't care what you got to say about it. But, okay, so why to you, you know, you'd, you'd said a few minutes ago, this is the scariest thing you ever seen. Yeah. Now you got to defend that position. You got you to gotta convince me. Yeah, because to me, the Exorcist is is scary. It's fucked up. It's messed up. But the the Exorcist, you can completely explain everything what happens. Once the movie is over, you're you're done. You you don't have to look any deeper into it. You you have you understood it. You're in with The Shining. I still don't know why that guy in a bear suit is giving a blowjob to that other guy. And <laughs> that was one of the scenes where I. It's just so out of context and doesn't make any sense that I think, okay, this is Kubrick. This has to have a meaning. After I've seen this movie, I've spent at least, at least a month just reading up everything I could about all the the little. Uh, there, there's so many theories. There's a whole movie dedicated to theories about this movie called Room Two Three Seven, and um, yeah. Uh, which I think when you watch that um, film worker documentary, you're going to be pretty upset because Leon Vitelli's like, no, the poster was just a poster. <laughs> like, there's no devil in that poster. It was just a yeah. poster on the wall. But, but okay, so now you're telling me why you're, you're um, you know, having to dig into it. But I want to know why was it so because scary to you? Not the theories, not anything after the fact. When I walked away from The Exorcist, I was genuinely under my skin, unnerved, like, could I be possessed by a devil? And, you know, I never wanted to even look at a Ouija board, let alone touch one. With The Shining, I didn't walk away feeling like I was going to somehow end up in this hotel fucking going crazy, a cabin in the woods, you know, having cabin fever. So why was it so scary to you outside of, yes, a, a man in a bear costume giving a blowjob is weird. That's very that's, weird. That sounds wrong, no. <laughs> What what was what, what was scary to me was the the unexplainable. I I didn't know what was going on. I I just felt I didn't know what. But with The Exorcist, I knew exactly what I saw, and that was what happened. It was a movie. With The Shining, I turned it off and I was scared afterwards. Just about everything, like about uh, what what if what did, what does this mean? What's going on? Are ghosts real? What if a ghost stood next to me? Right now? I just felt scared from. By, by the movie itself, N- not by what happened in it, but just by the movie. Kind of like, it's. I, I think it's best explained by um, the, the feeling I got when watching the video in The Ring. You just watch something, you see it's creepy, yeah. you can't even say what's exactly going on and what's creepy, but that's what gets you. And that's what The Shining was for me. It had a story, yeah, and it, it made sense. But there, was so, there were so many things that just left me unsettled and just like wondering and I didn't have that with The Exorcist with The Exorcist I turned it off it was a movie it was over The Shining just kept going and kept pulling me in and just had me scared all the time <laughs> I just got this mental image of you turning the movie off and just sitting there 
<laughs> scared of the whole world, <laughs> just afraid to go outside. <laughs> I can't. I can't do anything. I can't live. But um, it, it felt like I mean, the movie you know, was directed a by a though. ghost. It, it felt like it was just a cursed. And and that's why it was the scariest movie I've ever seen, and that's why it still works for me. Just thinking about it, it gives me goosebumps. And yeah, yeah it, I mean, it is such a good movie, and you know, like you said, it's it's Kubrick those those long shots that he does, you know. And Scatman Carruthers was always one of my favorites. Him throughout that whole movie is just so good. Um, talking to Danny and and. There, there. I mean, you talk about iconic movie moments. We talked about the shower scene. You know, even though he improvised the "Here's Johnny" line, everybody knows that. Even if you just hear "Here's Johnny," even if you've never seen the movie, people say that yeah. shit. And yes, they might be referencing Carson. Who knows? But for the most part, people know that from The Shining and, of course, the twins. Uh, very, very iconic scene in that movie, and the, the rivers the, just of blood. The, the line. The rivers of blood and all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And, you know, Kubrick, like you said, he did do everything intentionally. There was never a a scene that was out of place, but people have dug into The Shining. And 237 is a really cool documentary. It's a, it's a really, really neat look into that movie and the lore of this movie. And I think when you and Michael talked about it was... I, I thought one of you was on the side that it was just him going crazy, that there was no supernatural element. Did Michael say that? Uh, I feel like he might have said I, that. I think I, like, I've read, a, uh, uh, um, uh, um, what, what's it called? Uh, uh, I, I've read up on it, and, like, I think the fr uh, there's an interview with Stephen King where, uh, where King said there was exactly one time Kubrick and him talked. And it was, it was, for King, it was in the middle of the night. He got a phone call. Kubrick was on the line because he's from uh, Britain, so he, of course, had a different time zone. Kubrick was on the line and said to him, um, uh, I think it was something like, do you think ghosts exist? And uh, and then Kubrick says, like, because I think they don't. And that was the whole conversation they ever had. And so hmm. uh, there, there's this theory that there there's nothing supernatural happening in this movie, that it's all... Uh, uh, for example, the the biggest scene is um, the one of the only scenes where there's actually interaction with the ghosts, is when Jack Torrance is in the uh, in the freezing in the um, in the in the room in the kitchen, in this yeah. uh, locked room, and um, then uh, the ghost opens the doors, right? But if you if you pay close attention to um, what's going on, that. At the beginning, they go through this room and they they use two doors. Like there's there's two doors in this room. Uh, Shelley Duval puts him into the one door, locks that door, but later on he goes out the other door. That, okay, that, that's what you see at the end. He doesn't go through that door that the ghost unlocked. He goes out the other door that Shelley Duval probably didn't lock. <laughs> and uh, there's there's this whole little because that's the theories I like. That this this guy uh, Rob Ager, I think is his name. He made um, he 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 didn't go like batshit insane and says like uh, Kubrick made the, uh, fake the moon landing. He goes like, I think what Kubrick meant to say with this movie is there are no ghosts, and uh, he he also goes on about the uh, the Native Americans that that was like something you can read into it. But what, yeah. what I really liked is the the whole thing about there's no ghosts, and also um, these little things that you never think about while watching. 
but like that Kubrick built this uh, this set of the of the house like a maze. Like if you map out the the house, the um the hotel, it doesn't make any sense. There's doors right. where it should lead outside. There's um there, there's uh, this window in the in the main office of the of the of the boss of the of the owner of the hotel. He has a window be, uh, behind him where there shouldn't be a window because if you think about it, it doesn't make any sense because the way they walk, it's somewhere in the middle of the house. There's no window to the outside there. And that's the yeah, kind of stuff I really like about this movie. Which is which is definitely understandable. And I, I can see where you're coming from and I can appreciate it. But at the same time, this is a world where little boys have telepathy and the ability to there's a supernatural element or I guess maybe not supernatural, but we're living in a, in a metaphysical world where they're almost, and he's almost evolved, I would say to a next, to the next plane. Well, the the question is what does, uh, what does the little, what does uh, uh, he really do with his shining? But it doesn't. It doesn't matter because he. We. It's shown in the movie that he can have a conversation with Scatman Carruthers without opening his mouth. Like they're talking with just their minds. That's happening. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably an explanation for that as well. I, I haven't read this in <laughs> a long time. Of, but yes. What kind of explanation can you explain? Where he's like, "You like ice cream, Doc?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." And then he's like, "Well," or yeah. She asks him like, "How'd you know we call him Doc?" Oh, I must have heard you say it. She's like, "No, I didn't say it." And then they're having these conversations and he's psychically connecting to the child from across, you know, great, great distances. They have a psychic connection. So we live in a world where you can do that in this movie. And I'm of the camp. I 100% think it was ghosts. I don't give a shit what anybody says, especially with the, the picture at the end. You know, you've got Jack in the picture like he's always been a part of the hotel and I mean to explain some of that, but I'm not trying to say that you're you're wrong or that these theories aren't aren't fun. I think they are cool, but yeah, if you really read fun. and I haven't read Doctor Sleep yet, I I need to read it. I've heard only um good. I don't know. Have you read Doctor Sleep? Yeah, Doctor Sleep is really good, but nothing to do with the movie at all right. anymore. Outside like, of adult um Danny and uh, yeah. I read like the first couple chapters. It was in some back or some other Stephen King book I got that was like here's a sneak preview of Doctor Sleep. <laughs> But I need to read that before the the movie comes out. But um, so that's a good question for everyone listening. You know, was it ghosts or was it not ghosts? <laughs> that's what we want to know. And it's funny you bring up the moon landing because he says that in Film Worker. He's like, we didn't fucking direct the moon landing. He's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. We we didn't direct the moon landing. But if anybody could have done it, and you know, with Kubrick, there there is always that stuff that's fun to dig into. I I recently rewatched uh, Eyes Wide Shut, which I hadn't seen since I was a a teenager, and you know, with that movie, like there's all these theories about the the Illuminati killed him because he was exposing the Illuminati <laughs> through this movie. And if you read into all these little things, there's there's so much more there to figure out, and. After watching Film Worker, I, I don't think anything more of Kubrick than the dude, just his attention to detail. And he felt if you're going to be committed to something, and this is a good life lesson for everybody. If you're going to do anything, you do it to the 100% best of your ability every single time, no matter what. You give 100% of yourself and you put it into whatever project that is. And for him, it was it was filmmaking. And 
so so back to The Shining being the number one movie. Do you think it deserves to be on a list of the scary top 100 horror movies of all time? Do you think The Shining deserves to be number one? Yeah, I would totally say it does. Like, it or The Exorcist, they both... I I, I ranked the, uh, the Shining higher just because of my personal experience. And that's probably a lot with these. Like, there, there's, there's so many things that can change how you think about these movies and what, what you really think is the best. I think for with my personal experience, I totally go with The Shining as number one. No questions asked. That's no problem for me. But also, it would make sense to have The Exorcist at the exact same spot. For me, those are on par. Yeah. In the, I, I I don't know. I don't put them on par. I know you I know you would put a Friday the 13th. <laughs> no, one. I wouldn't put it at number 1. <laughs> I think it deserves to be on the list. Like I've got to scrub through this list to see if they a reason they didn't put it on there because that's insane to not put a Friday the 13th movie on the top 100 horror movies of all time if not just for the fact that it had such a huge impact on horror. And you talk about famous faces and sounds. I mean that cow, 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 cow. like everybody knows that bullshit. Like nobody wants to go camping out of fear that Jason Voorhees is gonna gonna kill you. Uh, so I do disagree with you. I don't think it deserves to be in the number one spot. I think it's a great movie, but I, I just don't see it as as being number. One. I mean, it's a it's a phenomenal movie. Top five for sure on a list like this. Personal top five. I don't even think I would put it in personal top five. But that's more nostalgia and you know things because i do think there are movies that have have scared me more like paranormal activity scared me a lot more than the shining did the first time i saw it but <laughs> but for me you know in the same way but hearing you describe it like i've i've experienced those same feelings that you're talking about of of being scared after turning the movie off and for me it's the stuff that you can't see and in so many ways jack torrance was a vessel for the psychosis or the ghosts, whatever it may be. He was a vessel for that. I get more scared of something that I never see. Like you never see made tangible, you know? And, and you mentioned my favorite scene in that whole movie is him in the freezer where you get that crazy shot from underneath him. And you're just looking straight up at his face. He's like, Oh, you hurt me real bad. Wendy. And he's, but then you see the smile and shit come across his face and, you know, it, it's super uncomfortable because you, you see him go go kind of crazy. But I, I, I don't know, man. I just don't think it um, I just don't think it deserves to be that that high up on the list. But it, it definitely deserves to to be on the list and to be on the the top 100. So that is it. We've successfully made it through the top 100 IGN horror movies of all time. And we want to know what you think. So shoot us an email or. Hit us up on uh, Instagram, Facebook, or or Twitter, and and let us know your thoughts on you know the last top ten or anything that that didn't make the cut. And more than anything else, let us know if you think ghosts uh, were a part of The Shining, or if it was all just in in Jack's head. If you agree with Josh and that there was no ghost in this thing, and he snuck out the the back of the freezer. And Shayna did just, um, she actually just sent me a text and she, she pulled her statement. She said, Silence of the Lambs, not a, uh, not a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, so now I really do want to hear what everybody has to say. Yeah. I'm going to do a Twitter poll later. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Do a Twitter poll and see what, uh, what everybody thinks of Silence of the Lambs. 
not even just a, a horror movie, but if it deserves to be top 10 horror movies of all time, I think is a better question. Cause I think most people would call it a horror movie, but does it deserve to be top 10? Yeah. Uh, and so we did it, man. Made it through, through all 100 of those things. Super cool idea. Appreciate you putting all that together and, and reading through those every week. Yeah. But I, I gotta say one, one thing I, I want to add is, um, I, I really love this list, but to be honest, I liked, I, I more or less preferred the, the, the beginning of it because at the end we just talked about these movies we always talked about right and so i i thought the the most fun thing about was about talking about all these movies on the on the lower end of the of the list that are still great but maybe we haven't heard of and there's at least five movies i've watched just because we did this list yeah yeah which is cool there's quite a few that i've seen that i i hadn't seen before that i hadn't there was a couple that i haven't even heard of before that were on the list that i thought was um that I thought was super cool. And I wonder if some of those, though, they they feel like, well, we got to put stuff on there that's weird and obscure so that way we... Or if it, you know, really deserves... A lot of it probably really does deserve to be on the list. But it was a lot of fun to work through the list. And so now we've got... um, What do we got? About a month before Christmas? So, yeah, maybe next week we'll we'll do some holiday horror. That way people can start getting ready. And, yeah, because I think by next week we'll be into... um, We'll actually be into December, right? Yeah, next yeah. week uh, when we record, it'll be the second of second of December. So next week, uh, you good with that? We'll do some uh, holiday horror, some Christmas horror. Sound, sounds good to me. Yeah, because there's a lot of them. I love Christmas horror. I think it's just a good combination of. I don't know why. I just like horror set around the the Christmas holiday because I feel like it's such a weird combination of ideas. Because normally you see yeah. you know the happy holiday things like that, and uh, there's some cool horror out there. So next week, be sure to tune in and get a little jolly jolly christmas horror slasher bloody gory stuff in your life <laughs> who knows sounds like a good time <laughs> yes and if you want to get in contact with us uh ihoh podcast at gmail.com is the email or you can go on to instagram facebook twitter get a hold of us that way you know if there's anything we haven't seen or something we don't mention that you uh want us to talk about or something you um, if you anything at all, you think we're wrong and we're both batshit crazy, uh, you can let us know that as well. And um, yeah, Friday the Thirteenth should be number one. <laughs> right. I don't think it should be number one. I I am not going to say it should be number one, but it should be in the top ten for sure. And uh, as always, if you can go over to Apple Podcast and leave a rate and review, those are super important to us and just help the show gain a little more exposure. We appreciate it so much more than than you know. So if you could jump on that, uh, yeah, that'd be super cool of you. And for the International House of Horrors podcast, I am Joe Murrow. And I'm Josh. And we'll be back next week with all things terrible, bloody, gory, brutal, and the macabre.